0: Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Lentesta, and this is our show for the week of July 28th, 2018. 19 years ago this week, Rock and Roller Coaster debuted at Disney's Hollywood Studios. True story, I stayed across the hall from Steven Tyler at the boardwalk while Aerosmith was in town for the opening. He actually was not anything crazy at all. I I spied on uh, all of his room service meals every morning to see what he had the night before. And basically, it was fiber uh, breakfast cereals and M&M's. So not the hard living that you are used to from Steven Tyler. And that reminds me, we need to bring in our own front man for the show, one Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? Excuse me, I need to put down my turkey leg and m M&M and sandwich here. <laughs> it was, honest to God, Jim, it was it was brand cereal and M&M's. Oh. We'll never forget it. It could be their secret to their longevity right there. Could
1: be. <laughs> When you see someone (laughs) like a Steven Tyler, he's a New England guy. And they do a giant Renaissance fair down by the Cape called King Richard's Fair every year. And mm-hmm. I remember I was there once with Jeff Lang. And so we're sitting down again, you know, it's Renaissance food. So we're sitting there with our oversized turkey legs and Jeff and I are talking over lunch and he goes pale on me. And it's like, what's going on? And he sort of does the frantic eye thing. And it's like at the other end of the communal picnic table, who's just sat down, but Steven Tyler. And it was just sort of like, shouldn't you have a giant bag of grog? Or-? <laughs> exactly. Shouldn't you be drinking more? Yeah, and it's like, no, you were just out being a family guy and enjoying his day at the thing. So it's like, so I thought you were crazy. Aren't you supposed to be kicking down walls and riding elevators? And
0: apparently not. Renaissance uh, festivals, brand cereal, and
1: MMs stars. They're just like us. There we go, except for the turkey leg. So, by the way, <laughs> did you see that? I forget which of the theme parks is now offering. A pretzel wrapped turkey leg? A pretzel wrapped turkey leg? Yes. No! It only costs like $17. (laughs) Never mind about feed a family of five. It looks like he could seat a family of five. How big is a pretzel-wrapped turkey leg? Is this a Disney park? I want to say yes, though it might be not. This is that time of year where the press releases come hot and heavy.
0: All right, let me know, because I've been to the studios the last couple days. I've been to Epcot, which I want to talk about in a bit. Okay. Let me know where it's at. I will will find this gym and take a picture of it.
1: Because seriously, Len, this looks like a flotation device.
0: (laughs) I am both horrified and fascinated by this, new, this piece of news. Yesterday was a National Tequila Day. I, uh, I celebrated by visiting La Cava del Tequila in the Mexico Pavilion. It was tasty and wonderful as always. Jim, a quick question about National Tequila Day. Two questions, actually. Number one, who decided that it could be on a Tuesday? And number two, why is that not a six-day weekend? <laughs> like I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely fine with it being on a Tuesday as long as we get some time off is what I'm saying. You know? The pictures you
1: tweeted out, it's like you were sitting there with your drink special. Poor (laughs) Laurel is sitting there with her tablet still working. All right, so still she's
0: she's composing the perfect shots for Instagram. She's Tweeting everything out. I like to say that I don't have that kind of eye for talent ah. and visual beauty that, that Laurel does. So Laurel's better at that than I am. She got to do the uh, the Instagramming. I'm the pretty face of this organization. I don't actually have any any skills
1: for any of it. I don't I don't know what I do. I try running this exact scam with with Nancy. She just does not buy it.
0: <laughs> you try to tell nancy you're the pretty face of the organization she brings you into the bathroom in front of the mirror and she's like tell me what you just said again
1: well there you go <laughs> now get
0: back out onto that bridge
1: and frighten some goats <laughs>
0: exactly the other thing i did and and i've done this uh, the last uh, a couple times in the last six months mm-hmm. but i ate at to Tudo gusto the wine bar next to italia in italy oh cool and the place was kind of expensive remember when it first opened you could order the meats and the cheeses and the, and the charcuterie plate sort of a la carte. And then pretty much instantly after they opened, they switched over to a two person fixed menu for each of the different boards. Like it would either be like two meats and a cheese, a meat, two cheeses, some com- you know some combination of vegetables, meats and cheeses, but it was like 25 to $29 per thing. Yeesh. They've still kept that. And, th- and the thing that I think was surprising to me, those prices really haven't changed very much mm-hmm. in the past three years. So it's like they did this big price increase, but then the the prices have remained relatively stable for a long time, and that's moderately interesting. The other thing is, you know, the last show we talked about restaurants and how highly Tutto Gusto is uh, is rated by people in the unofficial guide, by readers of the unofficial guide in and TouringPlans.com, and. I think that's that's part of it. It's it's still good value, I think, for the money now, especially since the prices of everything else have gone up mm-hmm. in Epcot, and these have stayed the same. So I was, I was really happy with, with the meal there. I also uh, noticed, though, so the, the left-hand side of the menu is these sort of charcuterie plates. The right side of the menu used to be small plates of food, a small bowl of pasta, a small bowl of salad or uh, a seafood salad or something like that. Mm-hmm. They've actually gone to larger portions there. So now in the wine bar place, sort of the place where you go to get a drink and a bite to eat, you could actually get, if you wanted, an entire serving of, of chicken Parmesan <laughs> for $30 or a steak, a New York strip for, you know, like 36 or whatever. I think that might be how they're making up their money.
1: Yeah, but at the same time, it's still those relatively itty bitty tables, isn't it? It
0: is. its I mean, these are tables that you would, typically stand around in a bar mm-hmm. and there there are some some regular seating and, and some of the seating is very nice but it is more of a bar feel to it <laughs> I did also note note yesterday that the actual bar bar in Tudoguso doesn't have seats mm-hmm. it's designed not to make people linger there which I think is is, is pretty clever yeah so the the menu is, is changing has changed there and that's I, the food was really good I don't know whether I would go to Tutigguso to order a steak yeah the thing that I would like to see is, smaller portions of the things that you could get at Tuto Italia. Like it's fine for, for Tuto Gusto to say, you can order anything you want off the Tuto Italia menu because we'll just, uh, we share a kitchen we'll just walk it over. But I'd like to see smaller portions available on the menu because if I'm stopping into a wine cellar, I don't necessarily want a 12 ounce sirloin, you know, with a, with a side of fries. That seems like
1: a lot of food. They have the defibrillators that are, you know, supposedly yeah. this walking distance of... I mean, it's not back, like back in the, the Alfredo days where, where literally no, 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 no. Yeah. people would walk outside after a heavy meal and, and get about 100 yards and pitch forward. But <laughs> but again, eating an entire steak at that position in Epcot, it's a very bad yeah. idea.
0: I like to think that the fat in the steak is balanced out by the resveratrol in the red wine that I'm drinking. So it's sort of like... It's a wash. That's what I'm going with,
1: and that's exactly what they'll do with the pavement where you land, Len. They'll wash it.
0: <laughs> wash Get it. Yeah, right. We no one needs to see that. A couple of other, a uh, couple of other things. As I was walking around, number one, that Guardians of the Galaxy building gym is huge. I was it telling is, people is
1: this, and in fact, that, massive. And, and this is the thing that makes me crazy because when I was talking about the texture mapping, the projection mapping that they were potentially talking about. Everyone thought I was insane, because it's like, there's no way you can see that building from inside the park. Oh, from inside the park? So here's the thing, and this is,
0: I actually think this is uh, something that Disney Imaginary did really well. Mm -hmm. I was standing at World Showcase Lagoon and looking back towards Spaceship Earth. Mm -hmm. And if you look back towards Spaceship Earth, In the sort of the middle ground is, and and to your right, is the Test Track building, Mm -hmm. which is in itself a a pretty big building, Mm -hmm. right? The Guardians of the Galaxy building, the top of it is about the same height as the Test Track building. If you're standing back by World Showcase Lagoon, that is, they look to be about the same size. But you got to remember that the Guardians of the Galaxy building is way past the Test Track building. So it it appears smaller in the distance than it actually is so that because of the way perspective works right
1: oh absolutely
0: so that's good right and that's one of the reasons why i think that guardians of the galaxy building is located where it is Mm -hmm. so that it's not visually intrusive if they had put that size building next to universe of energy is you would dwarf Spaceship Earth. It would be the by far the biggest thing in your in your line of
1: sight. Yeah. But again, they're going to need every inch of that show building for this, the, the longest possible indoor coaster. I guess we should take a moment here to talk quickly about the James Gunn situation. Oh, yeah, yeah. So do you want to give a summary of this? And then James Gunn was let go from the Walt Disney Company late last week for some, twits, uh, uh, some tweets that he... Some tweets. <laughs> well, by, by some tweets talking about so those tweets. You have to understand that James, prior to working for Disney, actually worked for Troma, which this is the studio that's made how many toxic Avenger movies, and they kind of pride themselves on being offensive. So while James was there, right. he kind of stayed with the house style and made some very unfortunate jokes that, unfortunately... After what the Walt Disney Company did with Roseanne and John Lasseter, their hands were tied when these tweets came out. That So James was let go on Friday, and what's been kind of interesting is that the entertainment community has pushed back in a large way. In fact, as of right now, what, there's a change.org petition online that last I heard was over. 270,000 signatures asking. Oh, really?
0: So it was at 200,000 yesterday, so it's yeah. at
1: 270 now? Yeah. This is not going to change, at least until the Walt Disney Company completes its $71.8 billion acquisition of Fox. They need to have this deal locked, and out of the hands of of government regulators who could perhaps turn this deal around. Remember, you know, it wasn't all that that long ago that the AT&T deal suddenly came up for review again. But look, James was incredibly gracious, took full responsibility for what he did, and what I'm hearing from folks at Disney is that basically... If you notice, it wasn't Bob Iger that made this announcement. It was Alan Horn, who's the head of Walt Disney Studios. Okay, By the way, is looking to retire at the end of this year. So there's kind of a thinking, thought in a way that if James did the right thing, he took responsibility, he apologized, he stepped away quickly. Based on folks I'm talking with within the company, the belief is that James will eventually be allowed back, but okay. he won't be allowed back in time to direct Guardians of the Galaxy 3, nor will he be available to do the onboard ride footage for the Guardians ride for Epcot. Given our current political climate and what's going on in the culture, the belief is that James is probably got to do his time. It'll be a year, maybe two. Uh-huh. and then hopefully he will be allowed back in in some capacity. The folks at Marvel really love him. In fact, basically the entire cast of the movie came out, and it's like supportive of him. So this is kind yeah, of an interesting right. situation. But And James, who was really, really looking forward to working on the Epcot ride because he'd had so much fun working on Mission Breakout last year. This is where we are in the culture right now, And and Disney, again, felt like its hands were tied given... What the company had done in regard to what Rosanna tweeted, and mm. what Mister, you know, what they'd done in regard to Mister Lassiter and the many unwanted hugs. So
0: okay, so Lassiter's thing is completely different. Actions are uh, different than speech, right? So Lassiter's in a category of himself. I get that. I thought they overreacted with with James Gunn. Mm-hmm. I and, and by the way, I, I don't I don't really care for the Guardians movies. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I do know who this guy is. were they there? I think the the jokes that he made were tasteless, and they were offensive. But they were, what, eight years ago, Disney knew what they were getting into Mm -hmm. when they brought him on for Guardians, right? All of this was was available when it was Guardians. Number two, there is a difference between jokes made in extremely poor taste mm-hmm. and racism, right? Those are two vastly different things.
1: You are preaching to the choir. Especially here. unrepentant
0: racism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As a business owner, I would treat both of those things in separate categories. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're equivalent at all. And I don't think firing James Gunn was, was warranted in this particular case. It just seemed to me to be an overreaction. He took it graciously. I, I wouldn't have any problem bringing him back. And again, I don't, I don't even care about the Guardians movie movies or about him. It was, this was just a, you know, looking at this from a, a business perspective, that's not the kind of thing the, the the two things that happened would not have got equal penalties from me if it was my company. That's all I'm saying.
1: Everybody I've talked with at Disney has said if we weren't in the middle of the Fox deal, we could have hung tough.
0: Yeah, and I get that. You know, if Agar comes out and says, "Look, these are these are two vastly different things," mm-hmm. I get it. But in the regulatory environment, the environment that that they're in, yeah. I understand it. Right, mm-hmm. I understand why they did it. Anyway. On to other things. So I was over at Epcot, I decided to go over to the uh, to the boardwalk area. Mm-hmm. So uh, some news about the gondolas here. Uh, it looks like the, the Speedway gas stations have been closed the last couple of nights. The, this, this is the Speedway gas station over by the boardwalk. The theory there is that they're either stringing wires for the gondola or they're testing the stringing of wires or something up above, something high up on the gondolas. So I'm still hearing sort of summer 2019 for these things to officially open. But progress is being made there.
1: Yeah, that is the time frame I'm hearing as well. Though when you talk with folks on the on this project, they are just sort of like, we really don't want to commit anything close to sounding like a hard date on this. In house, I guess they're talking summer of 2019. But if you talk with you know the folks in ops and the people who are going to be handling training and that sort of thing, they're like, look, we don't anticipate getting guests on these things significantly till. The fall of 2019 and we want to be ready, tested and, and everybody's, you know, knows the procedures out ahead of the opening of, of uh, Galaxy's Edge so, you know, look for them to probably be up and running and handling guests about 60 days out from whatever Disney settles on for hmm. the date, for the opening date for Disney Hollywood's version of Star Wars Land
0: Okay, and we'll know that it's close when they start testing actual gondolas on the on the track, right? There you go Speaking of uh of uh, new things, I was over in a Toy Story Land Sunday, mm-hmm. you know, just to see how the new land was was faring with people, and it is entertaining. It was it was super crowded, people were having a lot of fun on Slinky Dog, people were enjoying themselves to a reasonable degree on Alien Swirling Saucers. Obviously, Toy Story Mania was also super popular. A couple of interesting things, though, I don't think we've talked about this on the show, but Toy Story Land is a dead end. Mm because you you can only go in and out of it one way from a pedestrian traffic perspective the fact that you've got one entrance way supporting bidirectional traffic makes the whole place feel a lot more crowded
1: than it is you talk with the folks at the park their genuine fear at this point is because of the idea that's now being floated about at least for the first year or two of operation of galaxy's edge about People will exit on the... Uh, the oh, Grand. They'll
0: go in through the ba- through the uh, baseline tap
1: house area, Grand Avenue, and they'll come out Toy Story Land? Is that the idea? Well, they keep swinging back and forth on this. In fact, initially, I believe the idea was that they were going to... Because, you know, it's such a heavy retail presence. You're dropped right in the middle of Black Spire Outpost if you go in through the Toy Story Land entrance, whereas... If you go through the other side, this is where you find the group of of X-Wings that are parked in the forest. And the belief is the retail folks, especially the retail folks who are paying for all of this handmade looking merch, it's like, look, they have to enter through that. We want them to come right in and see it and open their wallets. Oh, by the way, I've had considerable pushback on the Death Star, it turns out that you are, in fact, going up to a Dreadnought, not the Death Star.
0: Ah, okay. De- All right. Death
1: Star was the original idea. It's since mutated largely on the back of what was proposed for Last Jedi, the, the scene with Rose and
0: Finn. So in the in the, cr- in the current timeline, the Death Star no longer exists anyway.
1: So there okay, we the go. Dreadnought makes more sense. So, They keep slippy sliding back and forth, and we can't decide, and we're probably going to wait to see how what happens in Anaheim in June before we decide whether or not we're going to commit to this. But it looks like, again, for the first two years, the belief is that you know that people will egg, enter on one side of Star Wars land and mm-hmm. be compelled to go out the other side. Oh,
0: yeah, I, I think that's at least for the first few months, that's the only way that crowds are going to make sense because mm-hmm. otherwise, you'll have people in stormtrooper outfits. Trampling kids, running to, uh, <laughs> running to alien swirling saucers. It's just not a good
1: thing. And you know the the downside of it, it. It means that Toy Story Land will not operate the way it was initially designed to. I mean, face it. The plan was that you were going to open up this this entire back of the park and have this wonderful flow through. And then at some point you were going to see the whole magic of an- animation structure where launch bay is right now get pulled down and eventually create a flow through that would allow people to to literally, you know, for the first time ever, you, you wouldn't have a dead end on Sunset Boulevard. You you could hang a left and go up, you know, a, a Pixar-themed street that would eventually tie you in with Toy Story Land, which would then allow you to flow into Galaxy's Edge, and you could walk all the way around the park and come out by Muppets. And, right. you know, for the first time ever, this park was going to have decent flow-through, and we're now years away from that happening.
0: The other thing I did in Toy Story Land is I finally ate at Woody's Lunchbox. Ooh! Oh my god, mm-hmm. the, the most delicious food! So I started with the uh, the grilled three cheese sandwich. This is uh, provolone and cheddar mm-hmm. with a cheddar cream cheese spread. But the thing that makes it is it's on garlic bread. Oh, it is delicious! Mm-hmm. Like like my mother never made food this good. I also had the uh, the tomato basil soup. I, you know, it was only like eighty five degrees. I think when I was having the soup, so that was fine. <laughs> Fine. It's fine. There we go. If you could just slather me in the cheese sauce while I'm eating this, I think it could be more humid. But then the thing that I love, Mm -hmm. the raspberry lunchbox tart. So this is sort of like an elongated, thicker raspberry Pop-Tart, which is my favorite flavor Mm -hmm. of Mm Pop-Tart. But this is just delicious. It's uh, covered in uh, strawberry fondant, I think. It is like every good-tasting red fruit you could have totally delicious. 329's a bargain for it. I know you can get an entire box of Pop-Tarts for that, mm-hmm. but this is better. It was really fascinating. I, it was actually so much food that I couldn't. I wanted to go back and try the barbecue brisket melt, mm-hmm. but here's the problem, Jip. So I eat this food and I go back. There are only two cash registers yeah. <laughs> at Woody's Lunchbox. There was a line. They had actually set up trenches, mm-hmm. the poles, to form an orderly zigzag line that went back like six layers deep it was a good 30 or 35 minute wait to order food. By the time I got back like I, I I'm not gonna stand in the sun for half an hour to order brisket yeah. <laughs> you know
1: it's in, in, in Florida in July I'm, I'm just not going to do it. I don't know what they were thinking there about the demand for food. I've been inquiring about this because this is this issue came up from day one. The argument when you talk with, with the folks with the test kitchen and that sort of thing, it's like you don't build your church for Easter Sunday. Oh, I know. I know. I get it. Right yeah, now, yeah. because this is a dead end and people can't get into Batu. this is just—the restaurant's getting hammered. And the fact, they created a menu that people really responded to strongly— the belief is that once galaxy's edge opens and all of the eateries in the the central district of the the shopping area are, are available that'll take considerable heat and considerable demand off of woody's lunchbox and you'll see that stanchion creep in by half i mean it's still going to be a 10 or 15 yeah. minute wait for food you know think about it flame tree barbecue over at yeah. animal kingdom oh it's has got like
0: what five six things open
1: but it
0: got five or six registers open. But it is in the middle of Discovery Island. It is, it is on the central walking path to both Dino Land and to Asia.
1: Having had conversations of the designer of this particular restaurant, it said our hands were tied when they said lunch box. If on the other hand it was it was Andy's lunch egg carton, something that allowed us to extend, but it was like when it was they said lunchbox it's like all right it's two windows and and there are already supposedly conversations because remember there's there's a third expansion pad there inside of (laughs) toy story land do you get any sense of where this expansion pad is when you're wandering the land?
0: so as you walk in i think it would be to the right it would be the right of slinky dog is what i'm guessing okay
1: because that supposedly has been earmarked for an attraction of size and another food facility. But, you know, there, there's actually been, I guess, some talk about, do we need to look seriously about sacrificing the ride space for another dining opportunity? They don't want to make a decision about this for about three or four years. They want to wait on Galaxy's yeah. Edge opening and seeing what flow-through is and what demand is, and then yeah. revisiting, do we need another ride, and or do we just ditch the ride and go with the food complex
0: there's definitely stuff to the right I guess to the north of uh, the north part of Toy Storyline speaking of speeding things up at Woody's lunchbox did you see that the Monte Cristo sandwich lasted less than two weeks after opening and now it's gone in talking to people at food and Bev Mm -hmm. they said that the problem was that 75% of the orders they were getting for the Monte Cristo were special orders or people were saying things like, can I have it without turkey? Can I have it without powdered sugar? Can I have it without the, the jam on it mm-hmm. as well? And that was slowing things down even further because those had to be made to order. So they got rid of the they got, 75% special orders. I mean, that's just, that's astounding.
1: Well, that's the world we live in now.
0: No, no, I, I get it. But you would think that somebody in Food & Bev would have some experience saying, okay, this, this sandwich that has two kinds of meats is deep fried, contains a raspberry jam and then powdered sugar the, the more ingredients you put into a thing the m- more things people can object to in it why would you have that of all things
1: let me to give you a little background of the Monte Cristo which you know again is served out at Disneyland in the New Orleans Square area yeah in Blue Bay area. care to guess which soon-to-be former Pixar executive loves the Monte Cristo sandwich oh okay <laughs> fair enough uh, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna tell you a joke here so we were
0: we were at a bar a Disney bar Mm -hmm. a drink that they serve is called the blue sky soda but it didn't have a description of it so Laurel asked the server what is a blue sky special and the server gives the description of it and at the end I I, I paused and I said and then when you're done John Lasseter fills you up server looked at me like, yeah, we can't, we can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> we just, not, not a joke that I could endorse. I can't laugh, but I'm going to walk away now. You yeah. hear me
1: saying something. Yeah, Chortling yeah, yeah, yeah. in the anyway. distance. In hindsight, here's hoping that Pete Doctor likes much easier to make sandwiches.
0: Yeah, exactly. So one last thing, and then we'll, uh, we'll talk about some Epcot rumors. I uh, was over at All Star Movies mm-hmm. walking around the other day and noticed that there's considerable construction going on at buildings seven and eight. At movies and looking in the windows, I'm not saying that I donned a fluorescent yellow vest, hard hat and work boots to skip over some barriers into a construction zone. But I'm not saying I didn't either. Anyway, it looks like these all-star movies are getting the room refurbishments that we saw over at Pop Century with new vinyl faux hardwood floors, larger beds and the uh, with one bed folding up uh, Murphy style into a table when it's not a bed. But also completely new bathrooms, lots more storage, uh, flat panel TV up against the wall, not on an armoire. It looks like a much cleaner design, much, much more like uh, what Pop Century got. The floors are lighter than what Pop Century got, so it's more of a an oak instead of a teak look on the floors. But I, I really, really liked it. It looked great. I would expect that these rooms should be ready building seven and eight by late summer, like September-ish. If you want to start uh, booking and asking for those, if our listeners want to uh, are heading over to All Star Movies and they want to ask for buildings seven and eight, that would probably be a good idea. And let us know what you think about it. But this is Jim. This is all this is all preparation for the fiftieth, right? Oh,
1: absolutely. Though I was told in regard to these new faux wood floors, they are so much easier to clean and maintain than oh yeah the old carpets. Yeah, they're not going to
0: trap dirt the same way. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Now the All Stars, they were the ones that got the. Conversion to the shampoo and the body wash that's chained to the wall.
0: I wasn't able to get into the room to see what the shower looked like. If there's a room open; I can uh, I can sort of wander in, mm-hmm. or, or you know, pay a construction worker to take some photos for me, something like that. Mm-hmm. But I'll, I'll look. But we should know soon enough. We should know in the next sixty days. Okay, and these cool, these, cool, these cool. rooms should be open. Mm-hmm. All right, Jim. Let's uh, let's take a quick break then from our news updates. Let's come back and talk about some rumors and some debunking of rumors that we've uh, we've heard about. All right, we'll be right back, folks. Talk to I think uh, a little bit about each of the rumors we're about to present here. Uh, the reason why we're bringing them up again is that word going around on the internet that all of these projects have been approved in the last week, but what we're hearing is possibly not. Let's start with the uh, the Coco overlay at the Mexico Pavilion. The word is that
1: this has been approved now, but you're you're hearing it's not. Coco opened in theaters November 2017. And about that same time, we saw a Diles De los Mortos exhibit go into the, the lobby area of the Mexico Pavilion. In just over the 4th of July weekend, an interactive component, I believe the exhibit's called Remember Me?
0: Right. It's a, it's a Dia de los Muertos thing, yeah. And I was actually there yesterday. I was there for National Tequila Day, mm. obviously, as well. But after you had, had talked about this, I went over to see mm.
1: just how busy all of this stuff was. Mm. Go ahead.
0: The thing with this interactive
1: is that it allows you to take your own features and sort of skeletize them.
0: Yeah. You stand in front of a monitor, it takes your picture, it turns you into a skeleton. Mm. Kids love it.
1: What they're talking about doing is taking the original River of Time attraction, which you know, remember back in April of 2007 was changed over to the Grand Fiesta Tour, starting with three Caballeros. The notion is to gut the attraction and bring in the Coco storyline. This is not a terribly heavy capacity ride.
0: No, 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 no.
1: They're using the Remember Me exhibit, in the lobby but they're actually counting the number of people who do this when people walk through and look at the use the Morto stuff in the lobby, you can't really get a sense of, I mean, somebody can sit in there with a hand clicker and go, okay, this is the number of people to loiter, to look at the artwork, that sort of thing, Who read the this stuff on the wall. But on the other hand, you can get a hard number off of, well, who went and did the skeleton conversion. And they're actually supposedly using the information of the number of people who stop and do, you know, this Coco-themed Remember Me thing. And at the end of Labor Day, this thing will have been operating for about six months, Mm-hmm. They're going to take that number back to Imagineering and say, okay, extrapolating the number of people you know, who stopped and did this, this is what we believe the interest is in a cocoa attraction. What, for me, is fascinating is that it's actually the Mexico Pavilion itself that's kind of pushing back against the cocoa redo, and a, a lot of it actually has to deal with the San Angelo uh, in-
0: San Angelo and uh, or oh, the restaurant that's right in the water around the... Uh- Oh, uh, that's right on the water because the boats float past that as part of the Grand Fiesta tour, and that would take away some of the waterside ambiance. That's it exactly. Not some; it would take away all of the the waterside ambiance of the San Angel. And that place
1: is packed for lunch and dinner. Well, and this is the point that if you're going to destroy the ambiance of the, this restaurant, in fact, depending on how that individual show scene would be impacted, they're estimating if it took between three and five months. To redo that and to change out the scene and bring that the that show on up back there's been an estimate that there could be a five million dollar impact on the bottom line
0: for the san And don't forget that's run by a third-party company too isn't that patina group there we go yeah it's not like disney can absorb it and say well what you know we made nine billion dollars last year or whatever
1: yeah so yeah. there's considerable pushback there the other thing that's coming back is that. They've done significant study inside the building and it's it's just not a maelstrom situation where you have the for example the spirit of norway movie theater where okay we can put an additional show scene here we can extend the track that's just not doable with rio de tempo the show building is backed up right against the odyssey likewise on the other side now you've actually cut through that thick rainforest and you're in norway you're, you're up against the summer and there's just not the space that they want for expansion so based on who i've been talking with there's a number of folks who say this test is kind of set up in a way so that the coco expansion will fail they're just not going to get the numbers that they expect or are hoping from guests doing the remember me thing and remember bob chapek the new head of parks the guy who's calling the shots this is he's all about numbers. He's all about how many units have sold, how many DVDs, how many digital downloads. And while Coco did a lot better, frankly, than people in the company had anticipated in during its theatrical release and worldwide and all that, it's still not a, a Nemo. It's still not a an Incredibles. And so the weird aspect is if you you talk with anybody about the 50th anniversary of of Walt Disney World and how they are repositioning Epcot between the Ratatouille ride and the Journey into Imagination redo built around Inside Out again because that's a film Pete doctor directed and Pete is now the new creative for Pixar right. that's picked up some momentum. They want to be able for the for the 50th anniversary to be able to talk up Epcot is a newly kid-friendly resort that, by the way, will have this huh. wonderful Guardians of the Galaxy indoor coaster. I mean, I know this is not going to make you happy, Lynn, because you, you love classic Epcot, but they are yep. trying to put the whole science and discovery identity of this park in the rearview mirror.
0: <sighs> it's just wrong. All right, Jim, one other quick thing. Rumor was Brazil for the next country you're hearing that that's also
1: not been greenlit yet? What I heard is that suddenly there was a conference room that was set up with the Brasilia model again and the concept art. And you do that when you are talking with potential sponsors. Ah, okay. I guess conversations have started yet again. And what's kind of interesting to me is if you look at like over at Wide World of Sports, they've got that Disney International Thing that they've just recently announced that will feature how many kids coming in from Brazil to, to do soccer? I mean, Brazil is clearly on the mind of the company yet again. You know, I don't know if you've been following what's going on with DuckTales or that uh, Disney app where, you know, they actually did a three Caballeros animation. Jimmy's <laughs> the
0: only person on earth who would ever ask me, Len, well, I don't know if you've been following what's happening with DuckTales. Yeah, so... <laughs> That is, that is such a Jim and Len thing to say. All right, go ahead.
1: We're the week after Comic-Con, and the world kind of lo- – I mean, seriously, you can go online right now. There's a piece of footage from the DuckTales presentation, and they just put up the imagery, because in season two, the three Caballeros were coming into the show, and you would have thought that Elvis himself had come back from the dead. The, the noise that Ooh. that audience made – I love what Eric Goldberg did for the animation of the you know, Grand Fiesta Tour. I I don't get the crazy response for the three Caballero characters myself, mm. but there is, in fact, an audience out there. In fact, this is where it got crazy strange, was if Coco, in fact, came in and did the, the Grand Fiesta, if they, they did the change-up, that would then make the three Caballero characters available? To move over uh, to okay, the I Brazil it. Pavilion, I, I've been tracking Brazil since 1980.
0: Yeah, right. Remember, we saw. Remember, we we talked about at our Disney Dish event in November mm. of last year about how Disney had contracted out a landscaping test. For parts of the Brazil Pavilion, back in the '80s, and, and the reason why we know it is, we saw the we saw the receipts yep. for the uh, for the work yep. that was being done. So somewhere on property, they had tested something mm-hmm. related to uh, the the concept for that. Yeah. Hmm.
1: So it has always been one of the ones that's on the table, it's off the table, it's on the table. But again, realistically, right now, every conversation when you talk with anybody at Disney, it's all about the 50th anniversary and what they can have, whatever is being built. Has to be ready by December of two thousand ten. Two thousand twenty. Two thousand twenty. My mistake. I know you've been tweeting with folks and, and chatting with them about you know when can you book rooms to get on property <laughs> exactly October first exactly.
0: two thousand 499 days out.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um. Just be careful because I have been hearing that they will do the year long celebration thing, which most likely will kick off January first of two thousand twenty one.
0: That's right. There's my question. So the the actual anniversary is in October of 2021. Yeah. What is the, when does the year begin? Is it January 1st, 2021 and running for like 15 months?
1: I have heard that if you look at the 50th anniversary of Disneyland and what they did, remember that there was a worldwide celebration component. But, you know, the notion is this is the year to be here. Okay. So, yes, there will, in fact, be actual anniversary celebrations on, on the date. But again, remember... That yes, mm-hmm. the resort opened on October 1st, 1971, but the grand mm-hmm. opening was spread over like three days with the 22nd, the 23rd, and the 24th. So, as far as the company's concerned, it's like screw it, it's January 1st. It's going to be year long. And yes, we will most likely announce in October, November okay. that we're extending till March 31st. So, okay
0: when Disney knows it has a really good marketing promotion, it's not a year, it's 15 months. No, absolutely. Right. The year of a million dreams was the 15 months of a, mm. of a, of a million dreams and whatnot. So that's, I'm, I'm absolutely fine with that. If uh, if the marketing promotion here is, is any good at all, 15 months
1: is, is fine. I would just be ready for this to, to get underway in January and again if you're a per- purist, absolutely book the October 1st date. But yeah if you're, you're one of those people who's clocking 500 days out, might want to slide that about Oh, nine months earlier now.
0: All right, Jim, I know we uh, today we were going to talk about the ratings for Universal Orlando restaurants, but we're already uh, pretty long into the show. Let's save that for the next show. I do want to say one thing about restaurants, though. Did you see the list that Restaurant Business Online came out with last week, rating by revenue the top 100 independent restaurants in the United States? Did you see this list? No,
1: I missed that.
0: It's a restaurantbusinessonline.com okay. top 100 independents. Mm-hmm. And this is uh, ranked by sales. The top independent restaurant in the United States, uh, Tao Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Totally not surprised by that. Forty-two million dollars in sales last year. Average check, ninety dollars. Mm-hmm. Number of meals served, two hundred and twenty-six thousand, one hundred and forty-six. Number two, Joe's Stone Crab, which I've been to in Miami Beach. Thirty-seven million, eighty-dollar average check. Okay. Three hundred sixteen thousand people. Here's what's interesting, Jim. Mm-hmm. Number six, mm-hmm. the Boathouse, Orlando. Thirty million dollars on a forty-three dollar check. Are you six hundred and forty-three thousand eight hundred and twenty-nine meals served? That's more than seventeen hundred meals a day, Jim, and they're only open for lunch and dinner.
1: Holy. Cow.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I
1: remember you know touring that you know prior to opening with with, with Steve Slusher, the, the gentleman who developed it, and yeah, the the kitchen back. Have you actually been in the kitchen? I've seen it. Yeah. There's so much state of the art, so much efficiency back there. And then when you think about how many giant dining rooms, sort of pinwheel off of that, you know, the the way the oh, kit- it's a huge, huge space. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, that's how they're doing 1,700 meals a night, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, also in the top uh, 100, Wolfgang Puck Grand Cafe at Disney Springs. $15.9 million, $48 average check on 345,000 meals. Hmm. We don't talk much about the Wolfgang Puck Grand Cafe. I, I think the food is fine mm-hmm. for what it is, but it's definitely popular if it's getting 345,000 people. Here's the, uh, the one that su- uh, surprised me a little bit, though. Number 61. You want to take a guess? Also at Disney Springs.
1: Hmm. Not rainforest, right?
0: Nope. Okay. Nope. Morimoto Asia, $15.6 million, $65 average check, 490,000 people visiting.
1: Boathouse, I get. People, you know, come straight in from the parking garage and Morimoto, it's kind of a dog leg to get there, but Wolfgang Puck is really kind of a, yeah. a schlep, isn't it? It
0: is. I don't get the Wolfgang Puck thing there. That's, it, it was, it was hard to get to. Mm-hmm. The entrance to it is not obscure, but it's not as obvious how you get into it mm-hmm. as maybe some of the other places. And I think that doesn't help it. You, for me, the food is, it, it's Laurel's yelling dated. It is. There's no other word for it. Okay. The the entire menu needs a, an over, mm-hmm. overhaul. It was probably cutting edge in the 80s, and I'm not exaggerating mm-hmm. with the sort of Pan Asian slash American fusion thing. It wouldn't be in my top 10 list of places to eat these days at Disney Springs. But for God bless them, I mean, for the no, they're no. doing almost sixteen million in revenue on three hundred and forty-five thousand covers. That's you know fantastic. Again, they're they're doing something right, right? And
1: the fact that you have to find you know follow a trail of shiny stones to get to the restaurant, yeah, no, that's amazing. Yeah,
0: that's fantastic. So so good for those guys. They're all uh, they're all doing really well. I would not be surprised to see a couple more um, places in Disney Springs on this list eventually. Mm-hmm. So to make the list this year to be number one hundred, you had to have twelve point nine five million. In revenue, by the way, the number one hundred, Cafe Fiorello, which is named after Fiorello LaGuardia oh, yeah. in New York. It is my local cafe in New York. Oh. Honest to God, it is adorable. Every this is th- this tells you how connected Mr. Fiorello was. Mm-hmm. Every table that you sit at yep. has a plaque on it that says "Reserved for Judge So and So." <laughs> like like this is how things are done in New York, right, Jim? Like you know, Mr. Tester, you can you can sit at Judge, you know, Judge Wapner's table, but if he comes in, oh, he I'm like, that's eh, fine. that's fine,
1: not so bad. That <laughs> is delicious
0: food, wonderful service, old time restaurant in New York. It's adorable. It's I walk by it almost, you know, every other every other day or so. It's fantastic. Oh, very cool. All right, folks. You've been listening to the Disney Dish podcast with Jim Hill. We are produced fabulously by Aaron Adams who as far as I know. Does not have any associations with any judges or any other legal uh, entities of any kind. Please go on to Stitcher or iTunes. Or, Jim, where else are we now? We're on Google Play. We're on Spotify. We're on everything, right?
1: Like iHeartRadio. Nancy actually got us on Heart Radio. There we go. Yeah, we're
0: everywhere. So. Go on to these places and listen to our show and rate us and tell us what you would like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show. Take care.